Good morning. Good to see you folks here. And for those who are online, good to have you here with us. So we begin our journey into uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Before we begin, though, I appreciated that last song that spoke about listening. Because <laughs> I was thinking, as, as I was singing that, I was thinking, we're taught how, what to say in prayer. Rarely do I get taught how to listen. And listening is probably one of the most important aspects of prayer, being able to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's good. There's, a, there's an author, I don't know if you've ever heard of her, Annie Dillard. She wrote Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. She's an American author, follower of Jesus, but also I would put her right in there with, as an environmentalist and just real earthy language, earthy words. And she just has insights that you don't typically hear from authors who are followers of Jesus. That's not a, that's not a diss. Don't read like that. I want to read to you a quote because this quote is, speaks to, you know, some of the things I encountered this week. And she says this, and this is in the book on the pilgrim at Tinker Creek. On the whole, I do not find Christians outside of the catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? No, we don't. (laughs) We don't. And I was made aware of that this week. It was just like, oh my gosh. You know, I I just need to think more, talk less. But anyway, we start with that. So we're going into this deeper look uh, into the life of Jesus and what Jesus calls us into as followers and disciples of Christ and what that means. It's being an apprentice of Jesus, lifelong student of of Jesus. A few people ask, how long is this series going to be? I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because I want to, this is a, this is a core subject, you know, as far as how we walk, what is our walk supposed to look like? And because uh, being an apprentice of Jesus is lifelong. So I guess I could say the series is lifelong, <laughs> but that, that's not helpful. What we're going to be doing, though, in the sermon is breaking down, like there is sections within the sermon where how Jesus focuses on certain things. That will be like a series in and of itself, those sections. And sometimes in those sections, there are principles Jesus will hit on that is very applicable to what we're experiencing socially or as a church or as people, uh, humanity right now, right today. And so we'll take what I call a little side trail, maybe take an extra week or two to just zero in on that and have some real honest discussions about that and listening to the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as a community, but also to yourself as a person as a follower of Jesus. I said last week that the Sermon on the Mount is probably one of the most important teachings that Jesus gave, uh, pivotal. Matthew captures a chunk of it in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it's also, there's a shortened version in Luke's gospel, and it's the last half of chapter 6 where it's captured there. 
And you can think of these, the topics, what Jesus talks about is principles for real life, experiencing real life, what it means. Because what we experience, what the world experiences is, is bogus, actually. I'll use that word. It is bogus. Paul hit it right on when I quoted last week from his letter to the Ephesians that the world is hopelessly confused. <laughs> and it is. It is. It proves that week in and week out that it is. So we don't want to dodge some of Jesus's words at all. We don't want to duck. Because when we do, when we avoid it, when we sidestep it, when we try to rationalize it or whatever, what we end up doing is denying getting a taste of what real life is like. We deny ourselves that opportunity to experience real life. Now, as, as we head there, two books bringing to your attention. I'll be leaning heavily on The Divine Conspiracy. It's a book by Dallas Willard. He passed away a few years ago. Brilliant uh, Christian author. He's also a professor of philosophy. The book is very readable. It's not an academic book, but it is packed with richness in it. Like, it circles around the Sermon on the Mount, but what you read from this book is Dallas's heart for people, for the church, to really understand what it means to follow Jesus, what that means to be a disciple. Uh, he has a real heart for that. The other book I'm going to be referring to, and I'd actually point you to it, is one that I stumbled upon, totally stumbled upon, was not looking for it. I, there was another book I was looking for, went on my Kobo e-reader to see if I could buy it from there, because you could get it from Kindle, and I couldn't find the book, but just down the list a bit was this, and the subtitle, Living the Sermon on the Mount, it was like, oh, I wonder what that's all about. I would highly recommend this, even though I haven't read it. I've read like about two, three chapters of the 52 chapters. And the reason I would recommend it to you is because, so Plow.com, that's the publishing company. They are part of a, and I should have looked it up. There's a, a faith community in Europe that is about being the people like what, what the early church was like, where they, they don't own possessions, they share their possessions, uh, they want to follow as much as they can what Jesus has called them to, to be a disciple. So I bought it. Told Tab, she bought it. And then I found out yesterday, as I'm on their site, plow.com, you can download that for free. <laughs> okay. So you can, uh, PDF, EPUB, and some other format as well. I would highly recommend you get it because the intention is to go week by week and their intention is, because there's 52 chapters and they're not big chapters, they're short. And the other thing is you can, there's discussion questions at the back, but what makes it brilliant is that it's not one author. It's multiple multiple authors, all the way from Augustine, John Chrysostom, I think that's how I pronounce it, I might have butchered it, sorry John, which is early church times, all the way up to N.T. Wright today, and from all streams of the Christian faith who speak to different aspects. They've pulled chunks of their writings on the Sermon on the Mount. That, to me, is healthy because you get to see over 2,000 years from various streams how people 
have been drawn to this Sermon on the Mount. Because, you know, there is this thing to think, gosh, so God's really pulling the church today to, you know, to the Sermon on the Mount. We're discovering the, the, the nut. No, no, <laughs> this has been going on for 2,000 years. God seems to be pulling his church towards the Sermon on the Mount, drawing people, getting their attention. So I'd recommend this book. And the discussion questions, you got to think. <laughs> right? I don't know what you've found, Tab, but it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's profound. Yeah. So all that to say, let's begin. I want to begin by addressing a title we attribute to Jesus a lot in our songs, in our prayers, in our language, and we do it so easily, and we don't even think about it. And that's Jesus as Lord. We use that term a lot. That word Lord, in the dictionary, what it, what it represents, it's, it's one who has authority, control, or power over others. And the Greek word that's used in the New Testament, same definition. When we call Jesus Lord, we're saying, Lord, Jesus, you have complete control over my life. Now, to do that, to say that, that's a risky proposition that you're stepping into. And I'll tell you why. The experience I had a few years ago when I was having my time with Jesus, journaling my prayers, and this question came to my mind because I was, I don't know what, I don't even remember what, I was asking Jesus about. But the question was, and I knew it was the Holy Spirit asking me, was this, that if I pointed out a wrong belief that you have, that you hold dear, would you be willing to let it go? I didn't have a quick answer to that right away. Like, and I knew underneath that question was the question, am I your Lord or not? Would you follow me? And I wanted to say, yeah, but you would never contradict your word. The question came back. No, no. I want to know, am I your Lord or not? That's what I want to know. Do I have the final say in your life? And it sort of stopped me, dead in my tracks. Because I know if, if he is Lord... I should be willing to let go of that belief because I remember Paul's words that we see through a glass darkly, right? We don't see clearly. We don't understand clearly. We don't interpret the word clearly. So many filters things go through. Those type of questions make you squirm a bit, just a little bit. But these are real questions we have to talk about. And if we're going to go into the Sermon on the Mount, we have to answer the question, is Jesus our Lord? Because if the answer is yes, he is, well, then that changes the whole thing for us as we go into the sermon. Changes everything. Changes the whole thing. So I ask this because I do wonder, and this is just a question. I don't have an answer to this question, but I wonder if over the past 10 years or so, have the words and the actions of the church throughout North America, have they conveyed to our neighbors, to our world, that Jesus is our Lord? That we follow his teaching? That he has complete say over our lives? Have we conveyed that? Is that what the world sees? 
So we're going to enter into the sermon via the back door. What does that mean? <laughs> you going backwards? What's all that about? No, you know what? The back door actually makes us aware of this call that Jesus has on our lives. Because there's something about if we can start at the back door and then begin the journey, we'll have a better understanding as we go through this, what Jesus is calling us to. And there's no better place than to start with Matthew's observation of the sermon found at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what Matthew observes. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Authority. (laughs) Meaning, Jesus knows what he's talking about. And it's not about me stating that I agree or I accept the fact that Jesus knows what he's talking about. By authority, I mean that I know that Jesus knows what he's talking about. I know that. You can see it. You can feel it. And I'm sure you've sat in a lecture or with someone who is an expert on a subject matter, and the way they talk and their mannerisms, you know they are authorities on that subject. You just know it by the way they talk, their mannerisms, how they deliver. You just know they have that authority. It's nothing given to them. They have it. It's theirs, right? That's what people were picking up from Jesus. Because understand, what? remember what Matthew said there? He said, gosh, he doesn't teach like the teachers of religious law. And you would think they would have authority because they're the experts. But there was something about Jesus, the way he delivered, that he clearly had the expertise of what he was talking about, which was life, real life. Jesus is the expert. I like how uh, Dallas Willard in his book, I don't have the exact quote, but what he says in The Divine Conspiracy is, th- is this, is that if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is who he says he is, then he must be the most intelligent person that has ever walked the face of this earth. And, and you, you know, your head would go, yeah, that's true. And so Dallas says, if that's the case, why would we not heed what he says? And you want to go, it's a good point, Dallas. <laughs> you make a very good point. I don't know why we wouldn't want to. <laughs> but he makes that point. In other words, what he's saying is that Jesus is smart. And I want us to remember that as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is not only Lord, he is smart. The smartest person that's ever walked the face of this earth. So he's Lord, he's smart. So as we enter, I said we're going to go and start in the back door of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's at the end where Jesus brings his sermon to a close and it's with these words that he, he speaks. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. 
Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. That is probably one of the most startling statements from Jesus. And he made a lot of startling statements recorded from the different gospel writers. But this is probably the biggest one. Now, I hadn't realized that because the first time I remember this passage is when I was a little boy in Sunday school. We used to sing the song, the wise man built his house upon the rock. (laughs) That's what we used to sing. As a kid, it's a good song until you grow up and then you realize what you're singing about, (laughs) right? It's one of the most startling statements that comes from Jesus. And the reason it is, is because understand what he's saying here. He's declaring, wise are those who listen and follow his teaching. That's wise. And that word wise means prudent and sensible and practical in your relationships with people. He declares it's those people who will listen and they'll follow, do it, right? That's who the wise ones are. And I like the illustration he uses. We can all understand. They understood it then, we understand it now. He says it's like the person who builds their house on bedrock, solid foundation, We know what that's all about. We know darn well. Your house better be built on a foundation. Otherwise, you're in trouble. And you don't have to worry about the rainstorms coming and the winds coming. We know what uh, the seasonal elements do to to things, right? The ice, the water, and when it freezes and how it cracks everything and, and does its damage. We know the importance of a foundation. And you wouldn't build a house without one. You wouldn't think. The only thing, you might build your shed without one. That's okay. It's a shed. We don't care if it leans. <laughs> There's something actually character. You know, it's nice, quaint about a shed that leans a bit, right? <laughs> but not a house. When your house leans, that's scary, <laughs> right? But this is the one that we should sit up and go, what? What are you saying? Jesus declares foolish those who hear but don't follow his teaching. We should really sit up on that. Let me explain why. We have a softened definition of what foolish means, but it wasn't so back then. To say someone was foolish, the Greek word is moros. The English word moron is derived from that word. It actually means scorn, towards a person's character and integrity. So imagine if you hired a contractor to build you your dream house, only to discover that to help save you some money, the contractor skipped the foundation. You know the feeling you would have towards that contractor? Okay. The feeling that Jesus is expressing here towards anyone who would hear his words, but not follow them. 
the church should really pay attention here because we listen. The question is, do we follow? That's the question. Because you can't get around this summation of his teaching. You can't smooth it out, soften it. Jesus is fairly strong on this. This living into the transformed life doesn't happen in church on a Sunday morning. You hear it, but you work it out out there. In your home, with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, with your teachers, in your job, with your employees, with your employers. That's where it gets worked out. That's where you see, are you really following? Not in here. Here it's easy to sing, your Lord, your Lord, your Lord, until someone cuts you off. We use that one example all the time, right? Someone cuts you off in the 401. All of a sudden, Jesus isn't Lord at that point, (laughs) right? We chuckle, but it's those things. When you're filling out your income tax form, is Jesus Lord? And that's the thing. Is he or is he not? You can't be sort of Lord in some things, not in other things. We talk about, we use the phrase, I gave my life to Jesus. Did you? All of it? Or just some of it? Parts of it. That's the things we've got to wrestle with. And, and it's best to wrestle these things, and I'm serious about this, wrestle it out with others. To be able to gather with other people, to have discussions. Glenn and I will have these discussions from time to time. You know, we don't always see eye to eye on certain things, but we have this understanding that, like I know I don't see things clearly, and he better know he doesn't see things clearly. <laughs> But we, we respect that. But it's with that that we learn. We learn from one another. That's why I point you to that book about following the call because there, there might be some things you read that you go, I don't know if I agree with that person. Well, that's okay. We're all trying to, you know, it's looking through this glass darkly that we're trying to find Jesus, right? And discover the life Jesus offers us. But we need to be with each other. That's why, that's why I'm part of a home church because I need that. I need that in my life. I learn from all the others who are part of the home church. We have three home churches in, our, in the vineyard. Plus we have uh, Kim Maxwell is going to be doing a Bible study in the next couple weeks starting on the Sermon on the Mount. It'll have a different approach from what I'm taking because this isn't a Bible study. But that's where you can wrestle with things, right? And discuss. Christine, George, and uh, Jeff the other guy who runs some other uh, groups down in Urban Hope there. They have three groups going on. I think it's three groups. But you heard one of the testimonies. I didn't think Bible study was my thing. Apparently I might be. <laughs> thought that was cute. <laughs> we stumble upon things, right? We go, oh, I didn't know I liked that. See, but that's real life. We need that. That's how you live into the transformed life. It's not just hearing the teachings of Jesus And I'm not putting down listening to scripture, but if you just listen and you never apply it, you never think deeply on it, you never consider what does that mean to my life? And if you just read through the Bible in one year, but you haven't taken that in, wrestled with it, we have to think deeply on things. Have to, have to. Followers live into the transformed life. Now, 
Jesus, so Jesus basically is saying to us here, you want a solid life? Build it on me, right? And here's the blueprint. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. Here's the blueprint. You can live it. Now, that last thing that Jesus had to say, it does come across, it's startling, but did you know it's good news? You know it's great news? It's great news because it's doable, right? Because Jesus says that if you hear it and follow it, or if you hear it and obey it, you're blessed, right? You'll have a solid life. So if he's saying that, obviously it's doable. We can do it. It's not some pie in the sky thing. Because some people have said, this is just, this, hey, you can't actually do this stuff. That's not real. Jesus is saying it's real. It's the real deal. It's the real life that we can live into, that we can do this. Because is God working on my life? And so what's faith? I join God in what God is doing. And I work out my salvation with him. And I wrestle with God. Try to figure things out. God help me. Can you change my thinking? We can have real life now. I like Dallas Willard says in his book that the eternal life starts now. We have it now. It started now. So why wouldn't we live into it? And when you read Paul and Peter and James, their language they use is, we are a new creation now. Not that we will be, we are. So it's good news. It's the Jesus way. It's the real life. So this week, I want you to consider carefully his words to us. Come, follow me. He says to us, says to you, says to me, Scott, come follow me. Come follow me. From time to time, I have to ask myself, do I really believe that Jesus is the smartest person? Have you thought about that? Have you ever considered that? That when you read the words of Jesus, you're reading the words from the smartest person who ever walked the face of this earth. Smarter than Albert Einstein. However you want to define smart smartest, wisest person who's ever walked the face of this earth. Who wants the best for you. Who wants you to have full life. Who brings healing to people. Who opens up the table to everybody. Whoever wants to come can come. It's beautiful good news. The other question I want you to ponder this week is, will you let Jesus be Lord of your life? Can he have full say over your life? Full say. It's scary because you got to give up control. It's scary because it's, it's like, what are you going to ask me to do? <laughs> you know, as you lean in, and I dare us to take those steps and to follow Jesus into the Jesus way, into the new life, to take those steps. Because I believe that we will really discover what it is to have new life. I don't believe it is that hard to get. I believe, as Chris McQueen used to say, it's thin place, very thin place into experiencing Christ, into experiencing this new life. Very thin, very easy. And it reminds me of the words Moses spoke to the Israelites before they went into the promised land. Consider this. They were going into the promised land. Jesus invites us into the promised land, so to speak, right? 
I want you to hear the words Moses spoke to the Israelites, and I believe he was, uh, God was speaking through Moses to the people. I'm just going to read to you from Deuteronomy 30 that says these words. This command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you, and it is not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask, who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey? It is not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask, who will cross the sea to bring it to us so we can hear it and obey? No, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. Further down it says, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. And you can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. Those are the words Moses spoke to the people before they went in. And you hear that plea, and I can just, I believe that's a plea from God Oh, that we would choose life. Can't you hear? Put your name there. Oh, Scott, that you would choose life. Choose life in everything you do. So I leave you with those today to think about, to ponder. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Know that Jesus is for you. Know that Jesus' prayer for you is that, oh, that you would choose life. Amen.